Welcome to the Pete on Software podcast, where we program with passion. This is the podcast that discusses technology, the business side of software, and the tech people that drive our industry. And now, here's your host, Pete Shearer. Hi, and welcome to episode 18 of the Pete on Software podcast. I'm recording this on Sunday, July 6, 2014. For this episode, I'd like to talk about the recent Google I.O. conference. I covered WWDC, and in the interest of equal time, I wanted to dig into Google I.O. also. I'll be honest, there's a bit of selfish reason, and that's that it forces me to watch the keynotes in their entirety and take good notes. So it's an excuse for me to keep current and not rely on whatever gets the most media hype. First, they let off with the requisite usership stats. For global smartphone shipments, 315 million phones were shipped industry-wide. In the 30-day active Android last year at I.O., there were 538 million. This year, there are over 1 billion 30-day active users. Android tablets are doing pretty well, too. In 2002, they were 39% of global shipments. Last year, it was 46%. And this year, 62% of all global tablet shipments were Android. And that doesn't count Kindle, which would actually drive it higher. To count usage, in 2013, Android was 28% of YouTube usage. And this year, it's 42%. Interesting, again, to me, that the usage is so different um, than the shipment amounts. Is that because Android has traditionally not been seen as user-friendly as the fruity company? In addition, uh, they also stated that there had been a 236% increase in app installs. Android One. They let off talking about Android One, which is a set of hardware reference specs. Hardware vendors creating items to those specs so that in emerging markets, vendors can assemble modern phones quickly. One is also a software experience based on stock Android. It has play-powered auto-installs so vendors can add useful region-specific apps and automatic updates. We've gotten hints of this one ahead of I.O. and the ability for you to create a low-cost smartphone that only does exactly what you'd want it to do. An example phone shown was one that was made by a company called Chromax for use in India with features that Indian users would want. It has a dual SIM, SD card, 4.5-inch screen, FM radio, and costs under $100. So enough about that rah-rah stuff. For the very new Android, what's the new name? There is an L release. You know, previously it was KitKat. It's time for the L product. What's the L stand for? The response that was given in one of the sessions was, LFI no. Ha 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 ha. Very clever. But what is being announced, though, is the L developer preview. No official name for, like, lemon meringue pie or anything like that. No, just L developer preview. I wonder if they rushed to market to keep up with Apple. I don't know if they rushed the keynote, if they scheduled the keynote before they were done. Couldn't really give the marketing part ample thought. If they were trying to secure a you know, some kind of KitKat-like partnership with a company. I don't know. But L Developer Preview is all we get. Material design. This is a common theme over and over again during the keynote and the sessions. It's a new theme, new widgets, new API. The Google team says they're trying to think beyond pixels and to imagine a world where those pixels had depth, and they drew inspiration from paper and ink. However, unlike paper and ink, their digital material can expand, contract, reshape, and reform on demand. Also, when you specify a depth value, Android will figure out that in relation to all other items on the screen and render it properly with the correct shadows and lighting to represent that depth. All design elements have been updated to show rich touch feedback. Items animate in a very sensical way, and developers have been given easy tools to animate transitions between activities and even apps. Last year, Google announced Polymer, which is a web UI framework aimed to help create great UI web experiences. This year, they're bringing the material design to Polymer, so developers and designers can create the same material design experiences on the web as well as natively on the device. They also created an official design guideline available over at google.com slash design. Maybe it's an attempt to try to get some level of consistency on their platform like iOS and Windows Phone already have. So Material has a new theme, new animation capabilities, 3D views with real-time shadows, activity transitions with shared hero elements. 
What that last part means is that you could have an image that starts an animation in one activity and seamlessly animates through to another activity. L also has enhanced notifications. You can read and react to notifications right on the lock screen. Android now also has heads up notifications, which appear and can be reacted to during the use of other applications without disturbing the app that you're on. This is something that iOS 8 has, and I've been using as part of my daily life since being on the iOS 8 betas. The Android ones do look better to me, though, uh, so kind of getting Apple at their own game there. The new work being done around user security is pretty cool. It was demoed where the phone was paired with his smartwatch. As long as the phone was near the watch, the phone knew it was him, and it would unlock just by sliding up. When the guy took his watch off and handed it to the other person on stage, sliding up on the phone caused it to require a password pattern to enter the phone. The next person out was to talk about Chrome for mobile. In the past year alone, they've grown from 27 million users to over 300 million users in just one year. That's pretty amazing, uh, but I wonder how much of that was also due to the use and growth of Chrome on iOS. They didn't break it out. Chrome for mobile is introducing Material Design, which we touched on earlier, Redesigned Recents, and App Indexing. Material Design for Chrome is more of the same from a design standpoint, but everything is available at 60 frames per second, which is really fast for the web, and according to the presenter, just wasn't even possible a year ago. Also, there's less latency in touch events, which is something Google had been introducing a few months ago in Chrome, so it allows the web experience to be a little more like the native experience. The redesigned recents, what does that even mean? Well, when you hit the recents button in Android today, all you see is your recent apps, like hitting double home button by default in iOS. Well, now your Chrome tabs will all appear individually in that list of recents, elevating your mobile web experience one step closer to full class citizenship. It's made available by a new API in L that lets app developers put multiple items in recents, which means that you as a developer can include multiple things in recents if that makes sense for you. App indexing is the ability to have your app appear in search results. This was available to certain apps before, but now it's available to everyone. So if something comes back in a search result related to my app, it will open in the app instead of on a web page, helping to blur the line between web and native apps. But back to L itself, Google's made a lot of performance enhancements to the runtime, to graphics, and to battery life. Google had released something called the ART runtime, A-R-T runtime, introduced experimentally in Android 4.4 release. It's going to now be used exclusively in the L platform, or the L runtime, killing off Dalvik. It was designed to support a mix of ahead-of-time compiled, just-in-time compiled, and interpreted code. It is also cross-platform and runs on ARM, x86, and MIPS architectures. All the work put in uh, gives ART a 2x performance increase over Dalvik, which means your app gets an automatic performance increase for free. ART is also 64-bit. Graphics. The Android extension pack includes tes tessellation, geometry shaders, computer shaders, and ASTC texture compression. The demo looked pretty good, but again, like notifications, my enthusiasm was tempered a bit here because we're talking about this a month after Apple announced similar performance improvements with regards to graphics at WWDC and demoed very similar, their demo had very similar demos, so not impressed. For the battery, Google's announcing Project Volta to help with battery life. The first thing announced is an application called Battery Historian. This lets you view how your battery was drained, by whom, and what chunks over time. A Nexus 5 running in battery saver mode can have 19 more minutes of active time over the course of a day. Honestly, that doesn't seem like a lot to me. I think he should have kept that stat to himself, but of course the fanboys clapped like he just cured cancer. So L has over 5,000 new APIs, but in order to stay up on the latest, developers can make use of Google Play services. Google's Google Play services ship every six weeks, and 93% of users are on the latest version, which is a high number for developer confidence at getting at the newest things. Google Play scans every application for malware, and if permission is given, third-party apps get scanned as well. L also includes factory reset protection, allowing you to remotely reset your phone if it's stolen. I find it funny that they, 
They had just gotten done slamming Apple for adding third-party keyboards, something that Android has had for years, but then they announced remote wiping on a phone, something Apple's had for two years. Just goes to show you that you don't have to make sense to rile the fanboys up. And this goes for both sides. Android Wear. The Android Wear SDK already allows for a lot of integration with the phone and smart, contextually aware notifications, behavior, stuff like that. Notifications to your phone, including calls, can be handled on the watch, and then they'll go back, go away, back on your phone. But now, developers have full availability to the SDK and can build custom UIs, again, material design, control sensors on the wearables, react to voice actions, send data back to the phone through Google Play services, and when you install an app on your phone, if the app has a wearable portion, that's automatically installed to the watch and kept up to date through the phone updates. Android Auto. In the car, people driving often want location-based apps, communication-based apps, and music. People spend an average of an hour a day in their cars in the United States, and 25% of accidents are caused by people fooling around with their phones. But just like Android Wear, Android Auto is very location-aware and is voice-enabled so you can keep your eyes on the road. Your phone is the thing that drives the experience. You just have to plug your phone into the car. Navigation smart and contextually aware, so you can ask about a place and then just say navigate there, and it knows where there is. Android Auto SDK is now available with audio and messaging APIs and 40 partners signed on, including Audi, Ford, Chevy, Jeep, VW, Honda, Chrysler, and many more, and the first cars will be available later this year. What about TVs? Smart TVs are limited because of the disparate APIs, manufacturers, and so on. So Google is announcing Android TV. Take that, Android Fire TV. Lots of context-sensitive stuff here, voice searches, tight integration to the Google Play Store, and apps you have installed. If your remote isn't handy, you can also use your watch to drive the TV because they've created a wearable version of the app. They had a neat demo of the games where the presenter was playing NBA Jam on his TV with an attached controller, while another guy sat on a couch and played against him on a tablet. True cross-factor gaming. It doesn't really cross-platform since it's all Android, but it's finally transcending that homogenous experience. You can use Android TV just like a Chromecast, and first I was worried, does that mean Chromecast is going to be getting the boot? I just bought one. Um, and they have the ADT1 SDK available by sign up at developer.android.com slash TV. But next thing you know, the next person out is out to talk about Chromecast and new improvements. So whew, I haven't been obsoleted quite yet. Chromecast is going to allow users to cast to your TV if they aren't on your network, but if they're near you. So you can opt into this. And then if any determination is iffy about where they might be, in relation to your Chromecast, there'll be a pin that appears on your TV that they'll need to use to be able to send to you. The average family watches TV five hours a day. But what about the 19 hours that the TV is just a large blank screen? Chromecast's ambient experience is called Backdrop, and you can use the Chromecast app to pick from your Google Plus albums or make it to make the TV the largest picture frame in the house. You can also choose from Google's albums, which included things like nature and art. You can also ask Google, what's on my Chromecast? And you can find out more information. So if there's art on the on the Chromecast right now, and I say, what's on my Chromecast? And it'll come back, It's maybe it's Starry Night, and it'll tell me, hey, this is Starry Night, here's the information about the artist, everything else, right down the line. It's pretty neat, and it's some pretty sci-fi level geek stuff right there. You can also, with L, put your entire screen on the TV, your, your phone screen, so you can share anything from any app, or just demo your screen for sales demos or training. And that's me, they didn't mention that, but that's me projecting some enterprise uses and as a developer, some things that I'd like to see. Next, they went on to Chromebooks. Turns out, and I'm a little surprised, the top 10 highest rated laptops on Amazon were all Chromebooks. And Google has seen a 6, 6x growth in K-12 schools using Chromebooks. They added proximity in so that when your phone comes near your Chromebook, it automatically unlocks. And just like iOS in OS X's integration, Android and Chrome OS party together too. You get notifications, messages, low battery notices, phone calls showing up in your Chromebook, all that stuff. In addition, you can now run Android apps on your Chromebook, which is something I think is really, really great. With the L release, Google's also making it so your phone can be used for work and personal use, and your data can remain separate across apps. You control at a core level who gets access to what and when. Also for the enterprise, mobile Google Docs has the native office editing 
included, which is something that's been missing if Google Docs was ever going to seriously compete in the enterprise space. In the past, if you got a docx file with your e- in your email and opened it, it would get converted to a Google Docs file behind the scenes, and then you could work with it. No longer. Google Drive was introduced two years ago, and now has over 190 million users active in the last 30 days. Google has decided to up the ante here and allow unlimited Google Drive storage for 10 bucks per user per month. Now they came out to talk about developer success. First, they talked about Google Cloud, a rundown of what they have today. In the compute category, they have the compute engine and the app engine to do the worker role for the apps. In storage, they have cloud storage, cloud SQL, and cloud data store under app services. They have BigQuery and cloud endpoints. Because of their scale, Google's touting the proof of that they have Moore's Law in the cloud and the fact that they've had a 30 to 53% price drop on Compute Engine, 85% price drop on BigQuery, and a 68% drop in cloud storage, and automatically discount uh, apply discounts for sustained usage as they're realized. Netflix, Snapchat, Wix, Airbnb, and Khan Academy are some of the major players who run their platform on Google. They created a new API called CloudSave, which kind of like iCloud, it allows you to save data to the cloud for use across devices. Also something called Cloud Debug. The features here that were demoed reminded me a little bit of Azure Mobile Services, but then the sick thing was the ability to use Cloud Debug to debug, debug live production code against everything that was running, whether that was even across multiple servers and multiple instances of your app. He just, in the demo, he put a, a watch point up, and then his app stopped, and he noticed that it wasn't right, and he hadn't stopped at the right point, so he added a conditional watch point, and then he saw his error and made a change right there to get the app fixed. I don't think, he didn't really specify, but I don't think it actually stopped code. I think it just had a breakpoint where I don't think he could have like f 10 and moved through the lines. I think he was able to just stop at a point and see some context and then try to fix the app. I don't know. That's something to definitely have to look into. But if your app is running slow... Uh, you can use their next product called Cloud Trace to see calls and which calls are slow. You can drill in and see timings and why things are slow. And then after you make a change, you can see reports showing before and after your change to show that it's had the desired effect. And then with something called Cloud Monitoring, you can monitor your application and any third-party items you're using that it knows about. It'll notice, it'll monitor for you and send you proactive alerts if certain thresholds are hit. Next up was a little bit of humble bragging. After mentioning earlier that they invented NoSQL, Google also threw out that they invented MapReduce. But as many people today have been seeing on Hacker News and other places, MapReduce isn't really getting it done anymore. It's cumbersome for the way that today's data analysis is being done, especially at scale. And to that point, Google announced Cloud Dataflow. It works as in batch mode or in streaming real-time mode, In a demo, they created uh, something to analyze real-time Twitter stream to analyze public sentiment to get an idea of how the world feels about certain teams that are in the World Cup. What you do is you write a series of transforms on the data in order to analyze it and upload it. Cloud Dataflow will then optimize that, deploy it to the appropriate appropriate VMs that are appropriately configured, and schedule and monitor it. Next up, someone want to talk about Google Play. They want to talk about what they're doing to help you develop, distribute, and monetize. First, develop. For testing, Google acquired a company called Appurify. Appurify provides mobile test automation for real on real devices, which is really important for Android's fragmentation. But the interesting thing to note here is that Purify will continue to work for Android and iOS. Take that, Apple. Apple could say they're all about developers all they want, but when they bought TestFlight and then immediately removed Android support, you are sticking it to developers. Google is showing real tangible love by keeping it cross-platform. They also announced Google Fit. It's very much like Apple's health kit, but it seems like its goal is more fully realized, so I'm not sure if Apple got some advanced announcement about Google Fit and tried to copy it. If Google's just doing it better uh, or if they just demoed better, I'm not sure. Uh, For the distribute portion, talking about Google Play Games, there's 100 million new users in the last six months. They create easy access to achievements, leaderboards, cloud save games, multiplayer, and game gifts. They have a new gaming profile, uh, much like Xbox Live profiles, where you can go on there, see avatars, see achievements, whether you're on your Xbox or if you're on a Windows phone. It's that kind of thing. 
uh, quests or something you could set up outside of your game without changing code. You can make it so someone has to accomplish some task in your game in one hour, for instance, and then they'll get credit for that quest without having to change any programming. So that's kind of neat. What about monetization? Google's making it so you can make purchases on your tablet that'll get tacked onto your monthly phone bill. This is something I think to drive overseas billing where they don't necessarily bill via credit card, but everything goes to the phone bill and is paid that way. So that's just my guess there. Monetization is something they take very seriously. And since the last Google I.O., they've paid out $5 billion to developers. They really need to publicize that number because the common perception is apparently an old perception that you can't get paid for Android apps like you can on iOS apps. It looks like Google's working hard to close that gap because that payout was only $2 billion last year. So the growth, growth is trending upward in a big way. That's all I have to talk about for the conference. So let's go on to my picks of the week. My first pick of the week this week is interviewing.io. The pitch here is that it's a chance for you to become awesome at technical interviews. You practice interviewing with engineers from top companies anonymously. You get better at algorithmic problems, find a job, or just see if you still got it. It's like chat roulette for technical interviews. Interviews have voice but no video, and your interviewer will not know who you are or anything about you. After it's over, you can unmask yourselves, but only if you both agree. The value proposition stated by the founder is summed up by her here. As I got deeper into recruiting, I began to discover that candidate filtering at the top of the funnel is fundamentally broken, and that despite coding being one of the more meritocratic industries out there in theory, in practice it's anything but. I reached out to some of the best engineers and interviewers I know, and interviewing IO was born. Join us in building a community around judging people by what they can do, rather than how they look on paper. My second pick of the week is Google Cardboard, which is at developers.google.com cardboard. This one's a bit odd. At I.O., the first gift to the audience was they announced was this Google Cardboard. They eventually also gave away some smartwatches, but this cardboard one's kind of interesting. Basically, for a few dollars worth of material, cardboard, some rubber band, a couple of lenses, and your Android phone, you can create an immersive VR experience. I'd really be interested in checking it out. Not because I'm super interested in VR goggles, but because I find this kind of ingenuity impressive. That's it for this week. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can find me on Twitter at Pedon Software on my blog, pedonsoftware.com, or you can leave comments wherever you found this podcast. Until next time.